Um, we're going to settle in on chapter 14. Um, probably one of, if not maybe, my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, this guy really awakens something in my soul that I, I really want. I, I want to be this. And so um, I'm excited to get to talk about Caleb this morning. So Joshua chapter 14, and I'm going to pick up reading in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 15, and then we'll pray and get started. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephna the Kenizzite said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me, I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there, with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave, him Hebron, he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephna, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this, the name of Hebron formerly, Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us this morning. We thank you for the example of Caleb. Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to work about perseverance in people, in your people. God, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that enables us to endure, that enables us to, to keep going from decade to decade, to keep trusting, to keep serving, to keep looking to the inheritance in front of us. God, we know that all of that is, is from you. All that is your power. It is your grace. It's your Holy Spirit. And God, we're asking today that you would give us that. Father, we know that... Um, our motivation wanes. Our, our will weakens. And so, Father, we, we plead with you for your Holy Spirit to do in us what you did in Caleb. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you are here today and you have not started the Christian life. So that, that's probably going to be true in all three services. There are going to be people who haven't started yet, they're, they're still considering the claims of Christ. So it's very possible that you're here today and, and you're, you're just still kind of wrestling with whether Jesus can be trusted. Um, 
with whether he's everything that he says he is and whether he'll really do what he says he'll do. Um, I identify with you. I, I was there for many years. Um, I'm glad you're seeking. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it, could be that, it could be that you don't know very much about him. That, that's, that's a real possibility. Um, there was a time in my life that I didn't. I, I still feel like I want to know so much more. So, so maybe you're here today and, and really you've not heard of his steadfast love. You, you don't know about his abundant mercy or his power, his riches or his glory, his sacrifice on your behalf to pay for your sins. You may not know really much at all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his eternal life, his unstoppable nature. Man, I hope you stick around. Uh, I, I, I hope that you will give opportunity to know about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, others of you, I'm, I'm going to think probably, I hope a bunch of you, you've already started. Okay, you, You've already started the Christian life. You've repented of your sin, your unbelief. You've stopped trying to be your own God. You've stopped trying to, to number your good works over your bad works and try to somehow maneuver your life so that you can feel and believe, hey, I'm a good person and, and good people go to a good place, right? You stopped doing that. And, and you've realized, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I am busted from the core. I don't love the right things. I don't do the right things. And I desperately need a Savior. And, and you've come to the point in your life where you turned away from your sin and you put your faith wholly in Jesus Christ and He has changed you. Many of you would say, I have a new identity. I have a new power over sin. He, I'm not perfect, but He's changing me little by little and sometimes even big by bigger. You know, he, He's changing the way I look at life. He's changing my, my heart and my attitude and, and my lifestyle. Well, my question for you, okay, that's who I really want to talk to you today. Those people, you who have started the Christian life, my question for you today, how are you going to persevere? Okay, that's really what we're dealing with today. How are you going to persevere? So how are you going to finish? How are you going to make it to the end? How are you going to endure? The Christian life, for most of us, is not a sprint. It's, it's a marathon. It is, it is not one quick burst of growing and serving and worshiping and fellowshipping that is done, you know? It's not you're repenting your sin, put your faith in Christ, and there's a couple weeks of just taking it all in, and then boom, you're off to heaven. It's a lifetime for many of us of striving to know and to love and to trust and to serve and to enjoy the one who is life. But that lifetime... Man, it's, it's filled with, what, a million distractions, isn't it? Idols, the, the gravitational pull of the flesh back into sin. The Christian life is plagued by the temptation and attack of the evil one. It, it's a journey with pitfalls of discouragement and people letting you down and, and an abundance of opportunity for betrayal and disappointment. And so I would ask you again, how are you going to persevere? Like, how are you going to finish strong? How are you going to make it to the end? How are you going to endure? How are you going to keep growing? How are you going to keep serving? How are you going to keep loving? How are you going to keep enjoying Christ to the end? 
So that, so that when, when we park your coffin right here in front of the pulpit and we talk about your life, we'll be able to say, man, they, they persevered to the end. Or when Jesus Christ splits the sky, you'll be found not in a season of your life where really it's hard to tell if you're a Christian or not. Here's the hard reality. Not everyone finishes well. Man, you look at the Bible. There's a lot of biblical guys that didn't. Man, the, the one I think of right away is Solomon. Man, Solomon's a great example of a guy who did really well early on, and then, man, he kind of crashed and burned in the end. Many people don't finish well. Many people fall away. They lose their zeal. They lose their first love. Remember the whole church at Ephesus in Revelation? They, they lost their first love. They fall in love with the cheap imitation pleasures of the world. Their faith weakens. Their zeal declines. Their joy in Christ fades. And you know, it doesn't help that we live in America. Because in America, when you're 65 years old, what do you do? You retire, right? You're kind of done. And, 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 you know, hey, there's some really good stuff about that, some opportunities that open up for you. But like our whole life and all the advertising, they all market us toward this, this golden years when we're supposed to not do anything anymore. That doesn't help. It doesn't help the Christian life anyway to think of your life in that way. So how are you going to persevere? Well, the man Caleb in the book of Joshua, I think, is the greatest example in the Bible of finishing strong. All right? Um, who is this guy, Caleb? Well, real quick, okay? So Caleb was an uh, Israelite who was actually born in Egypt, right? So he grew up, so his first 38, 40 years of his life were actually as a slave making bricks under the tyrant of Pharaoh for the majority of his formative years. I mean, until he, he was around 40 years old. That's, that's what Caleb did. And then Moses comes in and delivers the Israelites out of Egypt and heads them to the promised land. And they get there. And Caleb is one of those spies, one of the 12 spies that is chosen to go into the land and to spy out the land. Well, let, let, me, let me read you a little bit about what happened, okay? So those 12 spies went in. Caleb was one of those 12 spies. And, and in Numbers chapter 13, listen to Caleb's report in verse 30 and 31. But Caleb quieted the people, okay? So the other, the other 10 spies have just spoken, and they've said, man, the land is great. We can't do it. Are you kidding me? They're, these are fortified cities. They've got armies. They've got weaponry. We can't do it. We shouldn't have come. We need to go back to Egypt. Verse 30, Caleb speaks. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people a bad report of the land that they had spied out. The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people that are, are, we, that are there we saw in great height. And there are the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seem to them. And then he speaks again in chapter 14. That was the other 10 that just finished that. 14 verse 6. 
and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we have passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. So that's who Caleb is. Caleb is one of two men in Israel who when they got to the promised land the first time, said, guys, we can do this. Trust God. Okay, it's 45 years later. All right, so 45 years later. So think 1972, okay? I had that in my mind because I'm 40 years old and I was born in 1972, right? So my whole lifetime, my, my entire life later, all right? That's, that's, that's what's passed since that day, all right? It's 45 years later. By the way, 45 years of camping, okay? 45 years of wandering in the wilderness, all right? And then crossing the Jordan and five years of warfare. So what, what's going on in Caleb's life? 45 hard years, 40 years of manna. What's for breakfast? Manna. What's for lunch? Manna. What's for, what's for snack? Leftover manna. What's for supper? Manna. All right? 40, 40 years of that. 40 years of funerals. Everybody in his generation is dead but Joshua. 40 years of not getting the promised land because of these people. Oh, it, didn't it really kind of chap you when somebody else hinders you from getting what you ought to have? Man, Caleb had 40 years of that. 40 years of walking around in the wilderness with these folks that wouldn't believe. And he could be living in his farm. He could be raising his, his cattle and his sheep. But he's not because they wouldn't believe, even when he told them to. 45 years of age. His children are grown. They're out of the house. They've got families of their own. So, what does Caleb look like now? 45 years. Sometimes you hardly, right? You ever, have you gone to your class reunion? Have you done that, you know? And somebody, you know, walks up and they're like, Jason! And you're like, your brain's going, you know, who is it, who is it, who is it? You know, I've never seen this person in my life, you know? And, you know, how are you? Right? How, how has 45 years changed this guy? 45 years of desert living, camping, five years of war, manna, funerals. How's it changed him? Man, this is the same guy. Did you notice that? I, I, I mean, I mean, what, 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 what do we see here? What would we see this same guy in verse twelve here asking for the opportunity to do the hardest, most dangerous, risky job for God? They're distributing the land, and and, and the tribe of Judah gets called up, and, and they're normally doing it by lot, right? So it's just kind of a random, we let God decide who gets this farm, who gets this land, who gets this piece of property and everything. And the tribe of Judah gets up there, and Caleb's like, whoa, 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 before we begin, can I just say something? And then he asked for the hill country that's still inhabited. 
They haven't, they haven't got to them yet. It's inhabited by the sons of Anak, the giants, the Nephilim that we read about just a little bit ago. These 13-foot tall guys. And here's this 85-year-old guy who's like, can I just speak first? I want that. Let me and my guys take that. We'll take the hill country with the great fortified cities and the giants. Could I please have that? At 85. Tell me you don't like this guy. How, how could you not? The same zeal, the same faith, the same spiritual ambition, the same desire for his spiritual inheritance. This guy's wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He's watched everybody in his generation die except Joshua. He's had five years of war. And he's got as much holy gumption, as much spiritual grit, as much faith-fueled resolve as he did when he came out of Egypt. Man, I love that. Man, I want that. He didn't become spiritually lazy. He didn't go into spiritual retirement. If there were ever a time where it would be justified to say, hey, I put in my time. You young bucks, y'all go get the giants in the fortified cities. I'm settling down. That, that little farm in the valley over there that we already conquered, you know, with the, the little stream flowing through it, I'm settling down there. I've already got my rocking chair. I'm going to park it down there. Y'all leave me alone. I wandered around for 40 years because of you, you know, so I'm going to take it easy. If there were ever a time to do it, it's now. And, and I think we'd all be like, yep, he deserves that, man. Give that dude a free pass. He's begging Joshua for the opportunity to trust God for the hardest battle of his life. Man, I want that so bad. I, I, I've always loved him, and, 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 I, and I really wanted it in my 20s and 30s. I'll finish with a story of a guy that I, it's still it's crisp in my memory as the day it happened. I've always wanted, but I'm telling you now, now that I'm in my 40s, and now that I see that that, that whole desire, that whole kind of inclination toward starting to move away from the hard things in life and settle down is in me. Man, I want this more than ever. How? How do you do this? All right, let's look at some characteristics of Caleb that I think help us, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit know how to finish strong. Number one, Caleb wholly followed the Lord, okay? That, that is an important phrase in this guy's life, all right? Holy, so W-H-O-L-L-Y. He wholly followed the Lord. Okay, if there's one characteristic that defines his life, it's this one. And, and, and I'm, I'm not making a judgment call. I'm telling you that's what the scripture wants you to think of when you think of Caleb. Let, let, me, let, me, let me show you that. Okay, so uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God speaks and he says this, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. He's followed me fully. I will bring him into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Okay, uh, Numbers chapter 32, uh, he is spoken of again. Numbers 32, we find it here, uh, verse 12. Numbers 32, 12. 
none except Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Um, go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse uh, 36. Except Caleb, this is Moses speaking, except Caleb, the son of Jephna, he shall see it, and to him and his children I will give the land, no, it's God speaking, I will give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. And now, in our passage in Joshua 14, three times, so in verse 8, uh, but my brothers went up and made the heart of the people melt, Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now verse 9, And Moses swore on that day, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden uh, will be your inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now again in verse 14, uh, Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord. Do you think, do you think the Bible's telling us something here, right? I mean, every single time the guy is mentioned, it says... Here's this characteristic of this guy. He wholly followed the Lord. I looked it up in Hebrew, and it's an interesting construct of three Hebrew words, okay? What you have is a word that means to fill up to the full, to the brim, okay? Fill up to the brim. You have a word that means to follow or behind or to to be behind after. And then you have a word that is Yahweh, the Lord, okay? So to fill up to the brim, to follow after the Lord, all right? So what it's saying is Caleb followed the Lord to the brim, right? Fully, holy, all the time. He followed the Lord. There are lots of folks that follow Jesus selectively. Have you noticed that? They follow Jesus, select. it's a selective follow. Maybe they'll get behind Jesus on certain issues, certain moral issues. They're, they're all the way behind Jesus. I'm with you, Jesus. But then when you come over to another issue, maybe serving or maybe making disciples, and all of a sudden, well, Jesus, I'll meet you in the car. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to follow you. I'll follow you in these things, but I'm not going to follow you here. Or I'll follow you with my time, but not with my money. Or I'll follow you. It's a selective follow. That was not Caleb. A lot of folks, when things get difficult, they pick and choose when to follow and when they won't. Let, let me, if that's you today, you're probably not going to finish strong. Like if you already have it in you, then well, I'll follow Jesus in these areas, but... This one over here, I'm uncomfortable with. And so I'm just not gonna. Oh yeah, I know what the Bible says, but haha, you know, I, I'm, I'm following him in these other ways. I'm not gonna do that one. If, if that's in you, to be selective, well, guess what? As you get older, and as things get harder, and as your body gets weaker, what are you gonna do? You're gonna select, right? It's already in you. You're, you're, it's already in you to do that. Like, you're already doing that. You're already saying, I, I am selective about my following. And so the harder it gets, the more selective you'll be. But Caleb followed the Lord. He was all in, all the time, fully. You know, you know one foot in both worlds, it, it really honestly doesn't make sense. It's, it's, what, it's what the Bible calls a double-minded man. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's in James 1. The, the one I remember. It, believing Jesus is who he says he is, really it means you're all in. Can, can it mean anything else? Think about this. You, you can't say, I believe the Bible that Jesus is everything he says. He's the bread of life. He's the fountain of living waters. He's the great I am. He's the good shepherd. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the king of kings. He's the redeemer and savior, eternal God. He's the judge. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe who gives life and breath to all men. And I believe it. 
And so I'm going to follow him occasionally. Like that doesn't really mesh. I'll think about what he says and I might do it if, if it isn't too uncomfortable or if I don't have a better plan. Man, half-heartedness is actually rooted in unbelief or weak faith or wavering faith. John Bloom said this. Uh, he had a great article on endurance and he said, half-hearted running is the forerunner to quitting, right? That's true, isn't it? Have you ever seen someone start a race and, man, they look great? And then you see them about midway through the race, and you're like, yeah, they're not going to finish. Yeah, have you ever seen that? You know, I mean, they're still going, but like by looking at them, you can tell it's not going to happen. When you lose confidence about your direction, you normally slow down, don't you? Man, I've been there before. Have you ever been there like, uh, we, it happens to us when we're hiking a lot, and, and we come to a point where we're like, I'm not sure we're on the right trail, you know? What you shouldn't do at that point is start running, right? Like, like if you're going, if I'm going in the wrong direction, do I really want to go a lot farther faster? You know, I mean, when you lose confidence about where you're going, you tend to slow down. When you begin to doubt whether you can win, whether it's going to be worth it. Man, I see that on the mountain bike trail all the time. You know, I always have hope that Andrew will hit a tumbleweed or crash or something, you know. But when it becomes evident that he's not going to, I, a lot of times I just like, I lose my, my zeal. Like I'm just going to pedal it out and finish then. Caleb was convinced completely that God was worth it. And so he, he ran that way. Number two. Caleb believed the promise of God. So number one, says he wholly followed the Lord. Number two, Caleb believed the promises of God, okay? Uh, let me show you this. So Joshua 14, uh, 6, uh, let's do 6 and 9. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, said to them, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kiddush Barnea, concerning you and me. All right, so, so what is he basing his claim on that I want those giants, I want the fortified cities, I want that battle, let me have it. What is he basing that on? What is he basing on, I can do that, I will do that. He's basing it on, here's what God said. Do you remember what God said 45 years ago? Look, look at verse 9. He says, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which you, your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Again, he says, Moses swore this. I have a promise here. All right? Caleb is confident that well, God will give him the hill country. God will give him the land of giants. Why? Because, because God promised it. See, his, his confidence is rooted in the word of God. In, in a word of God that came to him four decades ago. Right? So, so from the beginning, Caleb has confidence in God. Because of his promise. See, those two things go together. Confidence in God and the word of God, they go together. The word of God gives us more confidence in God. The more confidence in God we have, the more we trust the word of God. Caleb had that. From the beginning, if you, if you look at this guy's life, he sees a big God. So you remember back in Numbers when the other guys go into the land? This, this is really interesting. They're seeing the exact same thing. Have you ever noticed that two people can, can look at the exact same thing and have wildly different opinions about it, right? So the other guys, here's what they say. 
They say in uh, Numbers 13, 33, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. All right, so the other ten guys go into the land, and they're like, we are tiny insects compared to these guys. Caleb goes in, he sees the same thing, and what does he come out saying? God's going to give it to us, right? I mean, they're seeing the same thing, but in Caleb's eyes, God is really big. He's not looking at the big walls or the big armies or the big weapons. He's looking at a big God. And so Caleb sees the bigness of God. And because of that, when God makes a promise, the dude is convinced. Like he's 85, getting ready to go fight giants in fortified cities. And he's like, we're going to do this. Why are we going to do this? Because God promised. And Caleb sees the bigness of God. In Deuteronomy, Moses, Caleb would have heard this sermon, by the way. So the book of Deuteronomy is a a book of sermons by Moses as they're getting ready to go in the promised land the second time. Let's listen to Deuteronomy 9, um, 1 through 3. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. That's what Caleb is basing his whole life upon. This this is not like foolish bravado. It's not like, well, I know these guys are nine feet tall, but, you know, hey, we'll hit them in their legs. Yeah. I mean, it's not that kind of junk. I mean, Caleb, Caleb is saying, God said we would do this. And so we will. I'm trusting his promise. His boldness is because of the word of God. Because he's following the word. Here's what I think. If you find yourself not being motivated or driven by the word of God, you probably are not seeing the glory of God. Right? So if, if, if you read the Bible and, and it tells you who you're supposed to be in Christ and that's not real to you, like you think, well, no, nah, that'll never happen. I can't do it. Your, your problem is that your God is too small. Like you're, you're not seeing the bigness of God. You need to see the bigness of God. And when you see the bigness of God, then, then the promises of God will be like an engine in your life that, that moves you, transforms you. That's, that's, that's why we need the promises of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this about God's promises. It says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. That verse just said that the promises of God are the engine to transform your life. And Caleb's a guy who believes the promises of God. I I think a lot of Christians functionally live like God's not going to do anything. Do you see that? Like that's a problem. So, so God has given us all these promises. He said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I mean, I, I just got done reading the book of Revelation uh, a couple times. And the thing that just kept pop, popping out to me again and again and again, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. 
What, what, is that, what is that saying? It's saying God is going to take the gospel to every dark place in the world. He's going to do it. There's no place it's not going to get. And he's going to do it through people. So what that means is God's going to move in the hearts of people to give everything and to go. Or to give. Like that's a promise. It's going to happen. God's made promises. Right? So, so if you're living like functionally, God's not going to do anything. No wonder there's no zeal. No wonder people would piddle away entire seasons of their life on stuff that has no real value. I think it's because they're convinced God's not going to do anything. You know, if he's not going to do anything in me, if he's not going to do anything with me, man, Branson, here I come, I guess, you know, or uh, maybe the Florida Keys. Maybe uh, one of those retirement villages where there is no kids. How about that? You know, uh, our kids couldn't come visit us. You know, I mean, we'd really be left alone. I, I don't know. I mean, something like that, right? I mean, something where it's just like, well, if God's not going to do anything, then what, what would make my, the end of my life, the rest of my life, as easy as possible? I think that's a lot of people's thinking. Caleb holds on to the promises of God. He never loses his zeal. He believes great things are coming. He believes his inheritance is coming. That, this is the, whatever we are on, three or four. C- Caleb learned to wait with his eyes on the inheritance. Man, it, or, or, have you noticed it's hard to wait? Man, it, it is really brutal to, to wait for things. So you believe God's going to do something. and It's hard to wait on that. It's hard not to lose your zeal and your enthusiasm and your hope. For many of us, it's just difficult not to get discouraged when things aren't happening, right? Waiting for months and years for the things that we're looking for God to do, that is tough. And it's tough not to get bitter with God or disillusioned with God. But isn't it interesting that for Caleb, the promise never dimmed. See, that, that's fantastic to me. Like, the promise never dimmed. It just got brighter. I mean, like, 45 years later, he is chomping at the bit for what God told him he would get. Hebrews chapter 6. It doesn't say Caleb, but, man, I, I think this is about him. <laughs> I, think, I think the writer of Hebrews had him in mind. It, it says in verse 11, Hebrews six eleven, We desire each one of you... To show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish. That, man, that's what I don't want for my life. I don't want to be sluggish. But listen, be Im- but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. What do they do? They inherit. They inherit the promises. So Caleb's inheritance was the promised land, man, and he faithfully looked toward it. Let me ask you, what, what, is, what is your inheritance? So the Bible says you have one, okay? And, and, and let me just to give you my quick view on this. I totally believe in a new heavens and a new earth. That's, that's all through the Bible. I totally believe in an eternity of 
perfect friendships and worship and service to God in new bodies. I, 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 do, I do not believe in the whole, I'm a floating around spirit in the clouds, somehow carrying a harp and a bed sheet. I, I think that is ridiculous. I believe in a new heavens and a new earth and relationships and service and worship and adventure and thrill and satisfaction beyond imagination. I believe that. But I believe it will all be centered on Jesus. There is only so much satisfaction that a piece of land can give you. There's only so much satisfaction that a house can give you. You know, we, we sing that, I got a mansion just over the hill. It's a true song, I, but it's, I think it's misguided, you know? Like, for real. Like, how, how long am I really going to be happy with that? You know, how long is that really going to throw my soul for eternity that I got a bigger place? I'm assuming I don't have to clean it. It's heaven. There's surely God has worked something out there. I don't, I mean, we are going to work though. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe I've got to. But is that really the heart of, it's not. The thrill is Jesus. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, God, you will thrill my soul. Being with you. Ephesians 1 backs that up. Ephesians 1 talks about us having an inheritance in Him. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His will. And then he says this in uh, verse um, um, 13, In Him you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, and was sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He's saying the Holy Spirit is the down payment to your inheritance. So my inheritance is, okay, so what's God giving me now? He's giving me his Holy Spirit. What do I get more of? I get more him. Man, I, I get the whole mother load at some point. 1 Peter 1.4 describes it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Unfading. You know I like that. I've talked to you about it a bunch. Having something that will never fade. Everything else in my life fades. That won't. Last thing, Caleb was willing to stand alone. He's willing to be the exception. Okay, so everybody else dies. But Joshua, but pretty much just him and Joshua. Like, like he literally, uh, when, when they were in Kadesh Barnea and going, he's willing to stand alone. Here's 10 incredibly respected, politically powerful men of Israel, the most powerful 12 guys of Israel, and Joshua goes directly against 10 of them to the point that they're going to kill him, actually. Remember, God stops it. He's, he's a guy that he's willing to be the exception. You know what I found? We, we all kind of, we, we affect each other a lot more than we think. You know what I've seen at Lincoln Avenue? This is funny, I think. Like, like we all kind of somehow. So, like, I've, I've seen seasons where everybody bought campers. 
And then I've seen seasons where everybody's so okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, anybody? Yes. I, I, we, that's real, isn't it? I'm not making that up. Like, like, and then there's seasons. Like, like some people will always have a camper, you know, and some people never will have one. But I'm just saying, I'm not saying everybody. But like, like there's waves, right? Like, and then there's waves where, you know, everybody buys, you know, this, and then everybody sells that. And then, like, and we're like affecting each other, and we hardly don't even know it, you know? I mean, it's not like we're like, honey, so-and-so bought one of those. We got to go buy. Uh, we're not doing that. It's just like it, like we're, we all kind of flow in the same river. And quitting can be contagious. Man, when you look around and everybody else is taking it easy, don't you feel entitled to do the same? Caleb never did. Man. I, in other words, I'm saying, I think we got to get, I think we got to bust through this if we're going to finish strong. Caleb always was the exception. He was always the minority voice. Man, be the exception. So here's this, this thing that, this memory of mine that, that is so crisp. I was in my 20s. I had not long been at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, maybe like five years. I was on a mission trip in Phoenix, Arizona, and we were with a whole bunch of other churches, and there was this guy in the church named Abe. I bet some of you remember him or knew him. He was in the Coast Guard. I think he was like an admiral maybe or something. He was retired. But he was in his late 70s, early 80s at this point. And he's on a mission trip with us in Phoenix. And we had a hard day's work uh, in the Phoenix Sun. I mean, we were wiped out. We got back in, and one of the leaders said, Brian Monsey, do you remember this? Brian's shaking his head. One of the leaders said, all right, we need, we need about 10 youth. We got, we got one more thing we got to go do. You know, we, we need to get this done tonight. So, you know, why'd they pick the youth? They're strong, right? Like the rest of us are dragging in. You know, we've been in the, working in Phoenix Sun all day long. So you know, we need about 10 youth to go do this thing. And so they pick 10 and, and they put them on. They're loading them on at one of our 15 passenger vans and they're getting ready to drive away. This just sticks in my memory. Here comes Abe. He's, he, again, he's in his late 70s, early 80s at this time. He, I remember he had like, I think it was an apple or a banana. It was some piece of fruit. And he'd gone in to get like something to eat. He gone and got a piece of fruit. And I remember him running to the bus. You know, he's, he's like, wait, wait, you know. And they, they stop, you know. And they open up the door. And he gets in. And they drive off. And I just remember thinking, God, give me that. Like all the rest of us, I'm in my 20s, and we're all like, yeah, youth, go do that, you know. When we're going to the motel, it is hot here, you know. It was in the summer in Phoenix. And here's this guy that's close to 80 saying, no, 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 don't leave me out. I want a piece of that. Wow, I love that. But here's what I've come to realize. So, I think what we, what we want to think is, yep, I'm going to be that. When I'm 75, I'm going to remember this story and I'm going to kick it in, you know? No, you won't. You won't. That starts in your 20s. That is really probably made or break in your 40s. Like, like let's just be honest. You can't slow down to a crawl. And then at, at some point, pick it up and sprint. You, you, I mean, God can do whatever he wants. I'm not saying you can't. God can do whatever he wants. That is unlikely. Those type of people are people who never slow down. 
I'm not saying never slow down physically. Um, I think there's absolutely a place to retire from your job. There's absolutely a place to do something different occupation-wise. Absolutely. There never is an excuse for that spiritually. I don't see one in the Bible. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says, hey, at some point, stop serving Jesus and just coast this deal out. I do not see that. In Joshua 14, 11, Joshua makes this statement. He said, or Caleb makes this statement. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my, is, as my strength was then for war and for going out. I, I can't, I don't know the answer. Like the thing that I wonder is, is he just saying that? Like, is he, is he speaking spiritually? Because the Bible does that a lot. Like my resolve is just, or is he actually as physically strong as he was when he was 40? I don't know. I think he's probably healthy because, you know, he's got to climb the mountain and take the Anakin. So he's obviously able to do that. He's probably not in a walker. But here's what I know. He sees his physical strength as the providence of God for the mission. Did you hear what I just say? That's very important. He sees his physical strength as the providence of God for the mission. The reason I want to point that out is because what I hear people saying is, We've been given this gift. Maybe it's time, maybe it's money, maybe it's health. So let's use it for us. Thank you, God. What I see him saying is, I've been given this gift. I'm still strong. So God, I'm going to use it for your mission. Others of you are going to say, okay, I'm the opposite. You know, when I was 40, I got this disease and when I was 50 I got this and I'm already weakening and I'm not you know well some of you may be like me I'm 45 and I feel kind of weak actually you know I don't feel as strong as I was 10 years ago okay you can still be spiritually strong all your life let me let me give you a, let me give you a verse Psalm 71 18 this is great. This is a prayer. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. So God, as I get old, don't leave me. For what? See, that, that next question is incredibly important. Why? So if, if, you're, if you're praying that, the why is really important. So I'm, let's say I'm praying that. God, to my gray hair and my old age, don't forsake me. God, give me strength. God, because I want to at some point beat Andrew Mountain Biking. God, I, I want my last season, I want him to decline, and I want me to be good. I want to crush him. God, give me that. He might answer that. I, I, he might. But I think that's not biblical. Like, that's not a biblical way to pray. So why? Look, look, at, look at the verse again. Even to old age and to gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. God, give me one more. Give me one more generation, God. That guy, Abe, he was our storyteller. That's what he did. The guy was incredible at telling stories to children. He did it at Team Kid in Moreland. We took him on a mission trip. We sit down, story time. Here's a 
this guy in his 70s, 80s, and he's telling the stories, the Bible stories, with vigor. God, give me one more generation. So I want to ask you, why are you asking for health? Why are you asking that God would be with you? Is it so you can piddle away your life? I, I, just, I mean, God's a gracious God. I just don't think he's going to answer that. I don't think that honors him. But I think if you're asking, you're like, God, give me that so I can go out to one more generation. I don't know whether it'll be physical or spiritual, but I think God will give you what you need to do it. Let's go out. Let's go out like Caleb. Father, we need your help. Lord, everything in our society, everything in our flesh, everything around us, everything in American culture pulls us the other way than what we see in this text. So, Father, we, we need great grace this morning. Father, we need grace to persevere, to endure, to keep climbing. God, to, to grow spiritually keep serving and keep loving and keep enjoying and stay in the battle. God, help us. Help us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.